0: You know, the savior who doesn't quite know it. The humble guy who becomes Johnny Yeah. Yeah. In in a role like this, in a role of 12th century French guy just wandering through, you but know. Y-
1: but you know, like, if Johnny Dupp is in this movie, he'd be like, hey, can I wear this crazy hat?
0: I have an opium addiction. And then, and I don't know how to <laughs> get past
1: Ridley would be like, take off the hat, Johnny. And he'd be like, <laughs> my no, opium? I really think this crazy hat really adds to my character. <laughs> I'm gonna keep the (laughs) hat, Ridley. Because that was a perfect uh,
0: of, yeah, imitation
1: rendition. of the soundtrack yeah. of this film. My God. Um, My hello. God in heaven. <laughs> My God in heaven. My name is John.
0: My name is Pree. This
1: is The Low Ceiling.
0: And today we're talking about...
1: Neon Demon 2. No! <laughs> kingdom of heaven. <laughs>
0: <laughs> two Kingdom, Two Heaven. Two Kingdom, Two Heaven. My God. This is the part where... Legolas saves Jerusalem in the Battle of Helmsteep. Hell yeah. And it is a sick fucking movie.
1: I mean, yeah, this is like cut to the chase. Kingdom of heaven. Ugh. Straight for the jugular.
0: Ridley Scott, you son of a gun.
1: I want to... Uh, so right off the bat, let's be clear.
0: Mm-hmm. We're
1: talking about the roadshow director's cut version of Kingdom of Heaven. Goddamn right. And the reason we're talking about it is because the theatrical cut in its release people were like well that sucked <laughs> and then ridley was like no it actually didn't and so he created a f- like four hour cut of this film yeah. and was like see and everyone was like ridley god damn it you done <laughs> you, it you did, you you did, did it, it, it again <laughs> um yeah actually i also welcome to uh welcome to scott fest where we talk about the scott brothers for two weeks mm-hmm. um all proceeds to these recordings go towards my charity that lets people know how good Ridley Scott and Tony Scott are <laughs> and a charity? were. charity? Uh, well, I'm starting one now. There you it's go. It's official. Um, <laughs> rest in peace, of course, Tony Scott. Mm. Uh, tragic loss to the uh, directing Industry. community. Yeah. yeah. So can I start with something? Far away. Every year... That I revisit and watch new Ridley Scott films, no matter how good or bad they are, like House of Gucci, for example, <laughs> or Goofy, uh. I grow, my appreciation for him grows immensely. Mm-hmm. And I feel very weirdly attached to him as a filmmaker, not because he's like a master, but because he's quite old now. Yeah. he's still, I mean, he still pumps it out like a, a young man. Oh, but don't
0: say pumps it out like that. <laughs> but yeah, a young, good, good, good man, young virile Scott. A
1: young virile Scott pumping it hard and fast. All right, this is going to be a and sacred
0: podcast. You can't bring any of this today.
1: He's released so many movies mm-hmm. that are so good and so influential, and yet I kind of think he's a little underrated in a weird way. How so? I don't really know, <laughs> and I think it mostly stems from. My feelings about Gladiator Mm -hmm. in that, like, I think Gladiator is an amazing movie and people, I mean, it's 22 years old at this point, 23. Yeah. And people are just kind of like, yeah, that was good. And it's like, no, it's really good. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah.
0: What movie do you think that is now over 20 years old still gets high praise? Are you thinking Lord of the Rings, like that, that fame doesn't die down and you want Gladiator to have that kind of respect?
1: Kind of. Yeah. If you think about that time, like if you, he, that movie doesn't get, and it's not, I'm not saying it's as good or better than some of these movies, but Mm -hmm. like some, I I do think it is as good as some, some movies from that time that do get a lot of praise. And let's be fair, the early 2000s, besides like Lord of the Rings and like, they don't They aren't really yet seen as a filmmaking time that people are, like, really nostalgic for. But hopefully they will be soon. But we talked about this a lot in the wake of The Northmen, which I thought was good but not great. I Mm -hmm. was like, Mm -hmm. I don't know. This reminds me a lot of Gladiator. And Gladiator is just so good. And I really felt a lot of this when Ridley Scott released Gucci and... Gucci and and Last Duel?
0: And The Last Duel, yeah. In,
1: in the same year? Yes. And I was like, we're so lucky to have such a talented filmmaker around. And we're lucky that someone like him, whether you, wh- however you feel about those two movies, releases films at the clip and rate that he does and still makes really good movies.
0: I love The Last Duel. I thought The Last Duel was quite good. So yeah. fun and just... Oh, excellent. Gu- Gucci I'm was insane,
1: we... but we did enjoy our time in the theater. Yeah.
0: <laughs> it's no House of Gucci. I'll give it that. <laughs> if The Last Duel had like a double role Jared Leto, maybe then it could have been improved vastly. <laughs> but you know what? Gucci had to take it.
1: Um, But we're not here to talk about all those movies. We're here to celebrate Ridley Scott mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. maybe one of his most underrated accomplishments in my opinion. 100%
0: kingdom of heaven all right 2005
1: you got a freestyle on this for 20 straight <laughs> minutes go
0: <laughs> i the year is 1118 france we are transported to 1118
1: france are you trying to get into you know
0: what it's not 1118 it's 1184 let's just say twenty.
1: are you trying to get into the plot like right away
0: no i'm setting the scene for like the mood so, I want you to imagine We just did when music. we sang the song. Okay. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> we can't. It's...
1: I have some things I want to talk about before the plot. Okay. Yeah. Firstly, is this the best director's cut ever? Now, people will already be scoffing because Ridley is famous for a lot of director's cuts. First and foremost, Blade Runner being yeah. cut about 45 times after it was made. Sure. But in terms of the reversal of reception for this film and quite honestly, the complete quality reversal when you view the changes mm-hmm. in this cut and it's so incredible. Do and you th- I, so do you think like, what do you think of that?
0: I, and I have a lot to say about the theatrical cut versus the director's cut, but we can, we have to only come to that once we're into the plot. Mm-hmm. So I don't want to give too much away right now, but my God, the movie Just loses all that makes it great in the director's cut because you saw it in the theatrical version that is 45 minutes shorter than it needed to be. This movie needed to have been four hours long or however long it is three and a half. You know, and today, if they made this movie, this could easily be like you said, like a four parter HBO miniseries, just bang it out scene for scene, and it would have been so fulfilling. Um, yeah, I think it it lost out because it came out in two thousand five. This is pre Game of Thrones and pre all the Marvels and and, and
1: pre pre streaming.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah pre streaming and and f- to sit down and pay attention to this like epic masterpiece that I don't know I I it didn't the theatrical cut buried the movie.
1: I actually like movies. I I don't I sometimes lots of movies are too long. Let's just put it that way. But I love it discovering a movie that you're like, this is really long. And you're like, it needs this. That is the that is the mark of like true talent. Like not many movies need to be the length they are. But there are a lot, there are a very few. I mean, we mentioned Titanic, Return of the King, this movie, mm-hmm. The Irishman even. I, and I'm like, it needs this treatment. Yeah. And I don't want it for every movie. Not every fucking John Wick Four is supposed to be like nine hours long, and I (laughs) I don't know if it needs that. But lots of movies, like I really, um, I really love when it's like it needed all of this. Yeah, and I love that about this movie. And um, so speaking of like Lord of the Rings, I'm. Quite uh, controversially, I don't like the extended editions of Lord of the Rings. I don't think they're necessary. Every scene that's extended in them, I'm like, yeah, I get it. I get why you cut that. <laughs> I, I totally get it. <laughs> yeah. The way that this movie, it completely changes like, its tenor in the differences between the theatrical and director's cut. And I say that as a kind of uneducated because I haven't seen the theatrical cut since it, since it came out. Mm-hmm. And I've only ever watched the director's cut since then. Oh, I see. You've actually watched the theatrical cut recently, very right? recently.
0: Yeah. And and I, okay, oh I preface this by saying I've never seen Kingdom of Heaven, yeah. and so the first time that I watched this film is the director's cut. So having that, having seen like what could have been, and then ultimately watching the theatrical cut now, which is shorter, uh, I'm, I'm glad I, I started with the big one first. And I know we're talking about. Movies that our directors cut that deserve to have been better. Um, I cannot believe you didn't bring up Justice League. <laughs> just oh, the Snyder cut. <laughs> the Snyder cut. No, we're not going to talk about it. Uh, Apocalypse Now. How do you feel about that the one? The Redux is the yeah. Redux. Um, did it warrant all the extra scenes? Mm,
1: yeah, I think so. I think it's like it's the definitive version of that film. Although, like again, it's the same with Blade Runner because we're we're too young, kind of to remember. Yeah, I never we never saw it in theaters, you know, and so it's hard to really, you know what, you know what's an interesting kind of negative example? Mm -hmm. Not the extended, but like the edited versions of the Star Wars films. Again, we didn't see them in theaters, but I have seen the original Star Wars films, right? And seeing the like revamped versions, Mm. those ones still stand out in my mind as like it's controversial to say but the definitive versions of those films because they came out right when i was young and i still look at them and i'm like oh yeah that was added by george lucas later (laughs) but i don't really care yeah
0: yeah i feel you but we're not here to talk about these other directors john
1: well i'm ready to get into the plot damn right now i'm gonna (laughs) test you here (laughs) go on you ruined it earlier and i cut it out of this podcast how does this film begin
0: This film begins with France. (laughs) 1184.
1: I'm shaking my head. It doesn't.
0: 12th century. Okay. It begins with the overture. Hell yeah. Where? It
1: begins with the fucking overture. (laughs) Thank you. Excellent. This overture, this music gets me amped for this movie it is so good
0: before you guys even listen to this podcast just go listen to the overture Uh,
1: well you can't it's not called the overture if you go on a streaming service Mm -hmm. and you look for the kingdom of heaven soundtrack the song playing is actually called crusaders the music in this movie is sublime and and it's weirdly intrusive at times Mm -hmm. and imperfect and sometimes doesn't quite fit yeah but overall it's phenomenal
0: I know why you're saying that sometimes it doesn't quite fit because the tone of the movie is meant for you to be a part of the scene, and sometimes the music, for example, when they're trying to introduce oh horses going through the desert, why is there loud music playing you know so it takes it's, you out
1: here here's the thing so it's one of those it's one of those uh, scores that like it doesn't fit the movie perfectly mm. but independent of the film it's amazing. Mm-hmm. And while there may be a tiny, tiny mismatch, it's still just like, n- this is like really good. Yeah. So yeah. the overture.
0: <laughs> like <laughs> the, What is it, like 10 minutes? I don't know. It no, sure, it's like it's like three minutes. It sure feels but like it could have been.
1: It gets me fucking lifted for <laughs> this movie. Like seriously. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and then we open on France. Mm-hmm. Talk about, it's 18, I don't know, it's 11, 1184. 80, yeah. 1184, yeah. 12th
0: century France. The scene is not a graveyard really, but it's just crossroads. It's the crossroads yeah. where you see a giant cross. Yes, stone cross. Stone cross and then three men are digging gr- a grave, burying
1: a woman. Mm-hmm. This uh, this opening is super evocative. Yes. I think it's really cool. Like the way that there's like the snow which is all fake. Oh mm-hmm. yeah, I, I listened to the whole commentary so I have some little tidbits about that, but Oh, tell me. Um. Well, the snow is all fake in this whole sequence, basically. Nice. The whole opening 20 minutes is all fake snow. But like the, just like the three men are burying this woman and she's in a shroud and then the wind blows the thing off her face. It's so good.
0: Why mm-hmm. like, so
1: good. Mm-hmm. And then just that one guy who's just chatting. It's such a really interesting opening. It's and,
0: very Game of Thrones-esque in that oh, opening yeah. already. Just
1: the look of it yeah. is so good.
0: It feels like the pilot yeah. where you kind of see these men huddled around, figuring out how to bury this lady. And one of those men is Martin Sheen.
1: Wrong. What? Michael Sheen. Oh,
0: God damn <laughs> <laughs>
1: But Martin Sheen would be pretty sick in this film. <laughs>
0: As I was saying, and now I picture him. Damn it. Yes, Michael Sheen.
1: So, yeah, Michael Sheen in this... Michael Sheen is a wonderful actor who... Takes roles that I hate all the time <laughs> and does lots of things <laughs> that. <Red
0: Omens. clears throat> yeah, he does yeah. these
1: like very goofy, very flamboyant roles that I just drive me insane. He's way better when he's not. Yeah. When he's subdued and reined in a little bit because mm-hmm. he's such a good actor. Yeah. And in this, he's incredible. Anyway, he basically, at this point, he says the woman committed suicide, cut yeah. off her head. Not to mention, sorry. They're passed by Crusaders, including Liam Neeson and David Thulis, mm-hmm. coming to look for someone in the village. In the village, a blacksmith.
0: Before they even get to the part where these Crusaders come in, right? And the three men are still figuring out how to bury this lady, Michael Sheen. Yeah, that's I got it this time. Michael Sheen says, "Cut off her head because she tried to commit suicide," and. Later, it's revealed that, uh, or maybe immediately it's revealed that this is a person Michael Sheen knows. The lady. Yeah. Okay. Kind of. Kind of. So it's not just a rogue body. It's not their job to do it. He's a priest, um, but he is... Not a cool priest. Not a cool priest at all.
1: And then essentially, so the Crusaders come through and then we cut to Orlando Bloom in a jail Mm -hmm. having been arrested for something, but he's been told to be released because he needs to help build a church because he's a blacksmith. That's right. A really talented blacksmith. Actually, Mm -hmm. this is something that William Monaghan, the writer who wins an Academy award the year after for a little film called the departed. um, He said in the commentary was that a lot of stuff that's stripped out of the theatrical cut. Um, kind of undercuts orlando bloom's role and makes him seem a little unrealistic but the director's cut leaves a lot of stuff in where it's like you find out how smart and talented and capable he is you find out things like he's been to war he's built war machines he's fought in battles and stuff like that Mm because i I believe in the theatrical cut they don't reveal a lot of that so you're just like, how did this fucking guy become the defender of jerusalem (laughs) and then you kind of in this you're like oh he's really smart Yeah, the thing that Monaghan keeps saying in the directors in the commentary is um, he's like a provincial um, Da Vinci. Yeah, you know, so he's he's an extra talented person. Okay.
0: Yeah, and see, I didn't pick up on any of that, not even in the way that they kind of showcase him being this talented blacksmith or being this this talented. It's,
1: uh, it's very subtle. Like it is subtle, and they, they, the Crusaders go to this castle, and they're having dinner and you know so someone comments on the cup right mm-hmm. and the king the the lord says that he's like got this guy who's an artificer who's like oh top that's with it. oh yeah. god i w- go watch it again and Nisan knows mm. that orlando bloom is likely his son right at this point
0: at this point yeah
1: so yeah so yeah the crusaders they they come looking for him and then the next scene essentially is Orlando Bloom does a bunch of blacksmithery mm-hmm. he like doesn't talk for the first like 15 minutes of this movie we find out Michael Sheen the priest is his brother yeah and he brings the crusaders to go find Bloom yeah and basically Sheen's goal is to send Bloom away from the village mm-hmm. so the church quote-unquote can repossess Bloom's property and give it to the give priest. it to Michael Sheen I yeah say. he's a really fucking bad guy yeah yeah bloom in true protagonist fashion refuses liam neeson and the lads all fuck off and then sheen comes in the night and encourages him to leave again by Mm -hmm. insulting his wife and bloom stabs him and lights him on fire
0: (laughs) (laughs) see all of this context is missing from the theatrical cut in terms of what is the relationship between the priest and orlando bloom
1: yeah you you don't know he's his brother no you just think he's a dick
0: he's just an asshole but turns out in the director's cut you find out oh they're half brothers and the priest ended up chopping orlando bloom's dead wife's head before he buried her he,
1: and he says to him originally he tells bloom that he didn't do it mm-hmm. and then he tells him later that he cut off her head yeah it's really dark it's like yeah and and so there's another thing too sorry there's a scene really beautiful scene we'll come back to you later But when Bloom is released from prison, he takes a crib and he sets it on fire in his forge. So what happened was his wife miscarried or lost their baby Mm -hmm. and committed suicide. That's basically what happened. That's the background you're supposed to get. And the cool thing about it is like it's very, again, kind of subtle and not totally expounded upon clearly. It's all in symbol and it's all in action. and. Again, this opening scene needs to be longer. Like, I don't know how the theatrical cut does it, but it needs all of this time. The
0: theatrical cut, like, it's just sped up 10x. There's no context setting for why Orlando is so incensed when he meets um, his stepbrother. Why does he randomly stick a sword, burning sword, through his gut to kill him? You just... Because for most of the scenes, Orlando Bloom doesn't speak. He's just this quiet, sad boy character. And then ultimately he has this like rage where soon after Liam Neeson comes and reverse takens him to Jerusalem.
1: And another thing too is that um, Neeson comes to him and I I really love this detail, but Neeson basically says, he's like, yeah, so like long ago I (laughs) fucked your mom. (laughs) Like it's, but it's like not, it's not like, um. There's nothing like very romantic about it. Like he says, he didn't, he didn't assault her, but he was like, he didn't, I didn't force her, but we did have sex, and you're my son, basically. And then Orlando Bloom's murdered his brother, Michael Sheen, and he rides off to find his daddy. o
0: that's right. And
1: we're fucking on the way to adventure, baby.
0: Immediately, a sick forest fight scene erupts.
1: Well, Neeson tries to cha- um, train him. With mm-hmm. sword fighting which Beautiful orlando scene. orlando gloom's not bad at mm-hmm. again like this isn't his first sword fight which is lost in the theatrical cut it seems like he's never fought before in his life yeah. but it turns out he has and then uh jamie lannister comes to find them and there there's this interesting thing that i i found so there's one of the, the the squire with the crusaders mm-hmm. he's like finding a place to take a dump And he's sitting against this tree Mm -hmm. and Jamie Lannister's dude shoots him with a crossbow. Yeah. Right. And then Lannister goes to find Orlando Bloom saying like, oh, he's murdered this guy. And he is kind of, it's interesting because he's like, we'll take him because he has to go to jail. Mm -hmm. But then it was like, it was clear they were going to kill them all along. Yes. Like regardless of whether Bloom came willingly or not. And I think like Neeson knows that, yeah, and that's why he basically they fight and almost everybody dies.
0: Correct. And yeah. the way they do it too is fantastic because there's like, like a diplomatic exchange before any of this happens. It is revealed a little bit that um, Nicholas Coste-Walder's character, Jamie Lannister, is the nephew of Liam Neeson. Yes. And then, so he says... The lord
1: that they had dinner with... That's right. ...is Neeson's brother. Mm -hmm. Again, not shown in the theatrical cut.
0: No. Yeah. So, because we're watching the director's cut, we're revealed that, oh, so there is a relationship between this guy who's come to kill Liam Neeson, take away Orlando Bloom, and it erupts into this fantastic fight. Uh, Just like an intense fight. Sick scene.
1: Also, like, a total undercut of the expectations of the film. You think that you're like, we're going to follow this gang, Mm -hmm. and then... Almost all of them get killed. Yeah. Neeson gets shot with an arrow in the armpit. Survives. Uh, Survives, but not for long. Mm -hmm. Spoiler. (laughs) We're going to get to it. Thule survives. Yeah. Um, So there's this interesting thing that Ridley says in the uh, director's cut, which I actually never caught Mm on. And I don't I wonder if you caught it at all. You've confessed your creepiness with David Thewlis. Oh,
0: he's so and, creepy. And
1: I've confessed about how much I love him as an actor. Yeah. Thewlis is really good in this movie, mm-hmm. and he's deliberately meant to portray like an angel. That's really? That's the entire idea behind his character. He's like a guardian angel for Orlando Bloom from basically this point forward. You know the way he touches his head when he rides past with the sword? Uh-huh. That's the symbolic thing behind him.
0: Oh, I thought it was just a quick knighting. Chick you're a knight. Go but fight.
1: He constantly is like showing up and giving Orlando Bloom pretty sage advice, especially after Neeson's character dies. You know,
0: I, I didn't pick up on that vibe at I all. I never
1: picked on a, up on it either. But and now that they say it, I'm like,
0: I get that. I know? don't. I still don't really agree with that at all. I think it's because he's so creepy and just there in his presence, not really adding much to the scene but just being like this philosopher guy who kind of says things that are kind of shady.
1: Hold on, though. Hmm. There's a scene later which is really great between Thulis and Bloom. Yeah. Huh? And we, we can talk about it right now. Let's talk about one of the big themes of this movie. Right. It has a very dim view of religion. Correct. I would say. Mm-hmm. And, But it does not have a dim view of humanity, I don't think. Mm-hmm. And there's a scene... So when Orlando Bloom is in Jerusalem, after he's basically taking control of Ibe- Ibelin, and Thulus arrives, because he came later to Jerusalem, yeah. and he says like, "How do you find it here?" And Orlando Bloom says, "God doesn't speak to me." And Thulus says, "I don't put any stock in religion.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: What is like godly is right action and helping people who can't help themselves." And then he says, "Jerusalem isn't, isn't with God." Jerusalem is here in In your your head head? and here in your heart Mm -hmm. and that is the theme of the film basically yeah Yeah. like it's really beautiful like Monaghan again says that he says the same thing in the commentary he's like lots of people ask if this movie which we're going to talk about later he's like was this movie influenced by for example the Iraq war Mm -hmm. and he was like no this movie is about right action Mm -hmm. that's it and I was like that's such a succinct way of putting it and it's really interesting
0: well all of it is well not all of it but most of it is based on occurrences right the the main character who later is revealed is saladin who's this like muslim ruler of then jerusalem who comes to fight was a real person all the crusaders and the war with the templars and all of that is still a real so i don't know if the current modern connections to iraq war or anything that is a fallout of like religious conflict has to be, i guess it is related to it but i don't know if that was the original intention for mr scott there
1: i i don't know we're gonna talk i want to talk about. Let's that find a out, though. little you know later yeah. because i have some other thoughts there, are on parallels. there yeah. the big theme that i think about in this film a lot mm-hmm. is god's will which mm-hmm. is in in enacted a lot in the film in both sarcastic and sincere ways. Yeah. And just like Thula says when he he says take a ship to the promised land and if you survive if <laughs> God has if God has um use for you there yeah. you'll survive and yeah. if not God God be with you. And I find it really interesting because there's all these occurrences like you said there's all these seemingly random occurrences, mm-hmm. not not random, but like they seem they're read as the will of God. Yeah. And as we find out, Orlando Bloom is a pragmatist and a humanist mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. likely an atheist, you know,
0: or a pacifist at the very least, because he doesn't understand why there needs to be conflict all the time. Or maybe it's really Scott's take on. The whole situation in Jerusalem is that he wants to kind of introduce uh, Orlando Bloom's character as the audience themselves.
1: Bloom's a bit of a Jedi Knight in this, yeah. In that way, yeah, yeah. Anyway, that's um. We're, we're gonna talk. Talk. We're gonna. We're gonna talk more about the movie because there only. There's only four hours to go. <laughs> um.
0: Let's get him. Let's. Are we. Are we entering Jerusalem?
1: No. Not no. Yet. No. So. Okay. So. Nisan's injured in this in this fight. They head off to Messina in Italy to take the ships down mm-hmm. to the pro, the Holy Land. Yeah. Nisan is clearly dying. Mm-hmm. There's an arrow in him, which he breaks off, and yeah. so their arrowhead is stuck between his ribs. And as Thula says to him, either a cyst will form or marrow will seep into your blood and you'll die. Yeah, and that's God's will.
0: right. which is interesting. yeah.
1: Neeson's clearly dying. They head off to Messina. Uh, they meet Guy de Lusignan, who is just a fucking prick. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Mr. Guy.
1: Big fucking Guy. <laughs> fucking guy. Martin Socus, <laughs> the New Zealand actor. He plays Celeborn in Return of the King. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, just like such a twat of a fucking
0: guy. <laughs> he's such a caricature of an evil guy in the movie. I think he's the one person who takes it out for me. He's,
1: he's not he his villainy might be the weakest part of the film i agree he's a little over the top his performance <laughs> yeah <laughs> and but but honestly it, it it works i think because this movie isn't about defeating villainy no it's about something else but because it's a film you kind of need a, a villain to really do it yeah and it, it reminds me so me and you have talked about before Like we've mentioned briefly, I don't know if it's made it into many podcasts, but like we mentioned briefly, like the idea of like the protagonist and the antagonist. And do do you know like the formal definition of an antagonist, basically? No. It's the person who makes the protagonist change. Protagonists, by definition, are people who change. Really? I just
0: thought it was villain. No. Oh, interesting.
1: So, and complex stories and well written and interesting stories sometimes, Mm -hmm. they have they're not that simple to really yeah. just be like he's the main character therefore the protagonist he's the person he has to kill at the end therefore the antagonist that's not always clear you know Very what i mean Very cool so Guy de lusignan doesn't really antagonize quote-unquote orlando bloom mm-hmm. because he never makes orlando bloom really change no. from the humanist person that orlando bloom's character is he is a villain in that way. Yeah. But he's not as fleshed out, in my opinion.
0: He's just a little jerk. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Yeah. So anyway, and and the movie is complex in that way in that it's like, well, lots of people make Orlando Bloom's character change the way he is. Mm-hmm. Sibylla, Baldwin, mm-hmm. Tiberius, David Thewlis, Liam Neeson, they all do, right? But they're not per- quite antagonists either. It's many different things. So I don't know.
0: Very cool. Yeah, yeah. But I think, you know what? Now that you mention it, that makes me feel even more sad for Orlando Bloom's character and the, well, also for Orlando Bloom, the actor. Because then I feel like why a big part of why this movie fell flat is because Bloom does little to nothing to add to it. Everybody else is such a powerhouse performance. Everybody else is. And almost always in the limelight, even when Orlando Bloom is standing next to them. <laughs> and he's meant to be the protagonist, like you said. So between, you know, Brendan Gleeson's character, between Liam Neeson, between uh, the lady, Sybilla, who we'll talk about shortly. Where is our guy, Bloom? Forgettable.
1: Do you still think that now that 100%. you've watched the movie? Cause More so I, now. I have changed my view of Orlando Bloom's character. Mm-hmm. I quite like him in this film. And I will say too, you could argue that Sybilla is also a protagonist in this film. Yes. She, although more she so. she comes in much later, her story is one of the more interesting parts of this movie. Yes. And well, she you could make a movie totally based around her. Yeah. And her journey in this film. I agree. And I think it's really interesting but there's so much going on in this movie. Sometimes it gets a little lost, but her journey might be interesting. And here's, you're taking a big breath. Like you want to talk, but I have something really important to say that I was going to say later. Yeah. To me, what's so striking and touching about this movie. Think of it from Orlando Bloom's perspective is that it's a movie about forgiveness and redemption Mm -hmm. and how one builds a life when everything is taken away from them. Mm -hmm. Orlando Bloom starts with nothing, right? And it's about how he comes to he comes to Jerusalem to seek forgiveness from God. There is no God. Mm-hmm. And so what can he do to seek forgiveness within himself, really? And redemption for the actions of him, the actions of his wife, things like that. And how do you make this life like obviously he's pretty lucky that his dad's like well I have a huge fucking house and property in Jerusalem if you want to <laughs> yeah. rebuild your life
0: like pretty cool. I'm number but one crusader. I got you.
1: It is about that like redeeming after all of this loss right. And the thing I think is so cool is that Orlando Bloom comes to Jerusalem with nothing just a promise of a new life mm-hmm. and he encounters Sibylla who has everything and over the course of the film Sibylla loses everything. Yeah. And at the end of the film, they've flipped places completely. Mm -hmm. And when they're back in France, Sibylla is starting the journey that Orlando Bloom has started at the beginning of this movie. Mm -hmm. And it's this beautiful cycle. Like, that's, I love that about this film. Yeah. That's what's so cool about it. Yeah.
0: I'm just saying, him as an actor is forgettable. If they could have put anybody but Orlando Bloom, it would have, all of what you said would have, been showcased in a much better way if they had friggin i don't know johnny depp for instance we can't no i'm gonna go back to say johnny depp because i think his presence alone is such a like a solid one like he looks like the part of you know the savior who doesn't quite know it the humble guy who becomes johnny depp In in a role like this, in a role of 12th century French guy just wandering through, you but know. You,
1: but you know, like, if Johnny Depp was in this movie, he'd be like, hey, can I wear this crazy hat?
0: I have an opium addiction. I don't know how to <laughs> get <a> past.
1: <laughs> Ridley would be like, take off the hat, Johnny. And he'd be like, <laughs> but my no, I hat. really think this crazy hat really adds to my character. <laughs> I'm going to keep the hat, no. Ridley. No, I I I I think here's my thing. I, we, I was going to talk about this later, but we we can talk about it now. I think Orlando Bloom gets better as the film goes on. I I think later when he's like truly a fully formed knight is when it starts to pick up, the like the last hour, and that's the part when he is the more active character. Mm-hmm. But you're right that he is overshadowed by a fucking amazing cast. You can you think look, Liam Neeson, Jeremy Irons, David Thewlis. No and Impossible. fucking Ed Norton are all around this dude not to mention uh fucking Brendan Gleeson mm-hmm. and like they're and they're all performing at like the top of their game you yeah. know he's like surrounded by these like real heavy hitters and mm-hmm. he kind of is like the rookie on the team yeah even though he's been in one of the biggest franchises ever at this point not to mention he was working alongside Brad Pitt and Troy and things like that like yeah I see where you're coming from.
0: Which is why this is such a failure on Ridley Scott's part. This is what might have killed the movie is Orlando Bloom. Anybody, if you could have had Russell Crowe in his place, muted as an actor but still be such a presence that you want to rally behind someone who's this leading man, I just don't see myself feeling that way mm-hmm. about Orlando Bloom regardless of whether or not he gets two extra lines of dialogue. Later in the film, the only time that Orlando Bloom makes this rousing speech, which is fantastically written, and I'll get into it after as we progress through the plot, but, like, that scene is maybe two minutes, but the rest of the movie is, like, four hours, so we're all just waiting on this guy to show up, who kind of never does.
1: I That's so funny. I kind of, like, I disagree, not because I think Orlando Bloom is incredible in this, but maybe it's I'm just biased, and I, I felt... The more I've watched this movie, I feel so much more charitable towards Bloom because he was criticized in this role. Not yeah. He wasn't like he wasn't panned, but people were just kind of like he was a little bit of nothing. Like you say, you mm-hmm. you're not alone in feeling that way. The more I've thought about this movie, I'm just like, I feel so charitable towards his performance because mm-hmm. he's got it tough. And the movie around him is already so good that it does kind of elevate his performance in a way. So
0: it's that's, also that's how I feel. About it's him. also one of the best things I've seen him in. Orlando Bloom's It might be other his works. best role. Hundred yeah. percent. Like he, I'm I'm glad he did it for himself, but it's just not for me. You
1: you know what you know what. So he is on the director's commentary as well, mm-hmm. and obviously he's dedicated to his craft, and he's very thoughtful. And whatever you think of him as a performer, the other thing I think you people, I mean people think about it more now, but it's a little underrated. Is the physical aspects of this role are intense. Mm-hmm. And he's really good at that. Yeah. He said like there, the scene where they, the cavalry charge. Yeah. He was like, he was like, I'm pretty good on a horse. And this was really hard. Yeah. And I was like, oh yeah. Cause he's done a lot of that shit. Like he's a very talented physical actor, I think. Yeah. In, he Legolas the shit out of that yeah. scene. It was but great. But even the, the scene where he, he f- gets attacked by those two knights, mm. like just the way his body movement and stuff where you're just like, yeah, I'd be fucking tired too, man. <laughs> Holy shit. And like, yeah. so... I think people give that more credence today. Speaking of... I mentioned John Wick earlier. Like, people are impressed with the things that Keanu or the stunt team behind those movies can do. Mm -hmm. And when you look at these old films, I think it's kind of like, yeah, you got to give them credit. Because a lot of that stuff, too, is like in-camera work that they got to do. Yeah.
0: 100%. Can you imagine if Keanu Reeves took the spot of Orlando (laughs) Bloom? But it's like young Keanu. No, again, also forgettable. You just... I don't know why they cast a very soft leading male to show that, oh, but he's a, you know, austere, you know, boy. He's
1: one of the biggest stars in the world at that point, though.
0: I know, but just as a leading man in a film that is so blockbuster epic, four-hour war saga, and then you you just cast just Mr. No Facial Hair. What's Come on. It just doesn't. Fake beard, too. Fake meter too. two. God damn it.
1: Hey, I got to say though, that episode in uh, Easy where he tries to have a threesome with Kate Micucci, yeah. he's so fucking charming in yeah. that. He's really wonderful. <laughs> um, okay, we got to get back to the plot. That's We've diverged on Bloom. Okay. Bloom. Shipwreck.
0: Yes. But before that, Bloom gets knighted.
1: Great scene, yeah. Great scene
0: right. where Liam Neeson is just about to call it quits. He's about to die and he picks up a sword. And he places it on Orlando Bloom's head and says, uh, protect the king of Jerusalem. And if the king were to die, protect the people.
1: Serve the king of Jerusalem. Serve the king. And if the king dies, protect the people.
0: Ah, serve the king.
1: Interesting how this happens. And they're in a chapel and they're surrounded by holy men. Mm -hmm. And he says nothing about God.
0: No because really, that is the moral uh, takeaway yeah. from this entire film is that god is in your head and heart but really because of whatever maxims are set within the crusaders is the, in their philosophy versus the templar philosophy versus you know muslims however they see it it's all about the people and not really so much about religion itself
1: yeah there's lots of, there's a lot of thematic stuff about religion masking the true intentions of man. Mm-hmm. And I think with Nisan and Thulis, and later you find with Tiberius, Jeremy Arons, that they don't really believe in that. They yeah. believe in right action. Actions of man. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And then Nisan dies.
0: And then Bloom hops on a ship and is setting sail to Jerusalem. Yeah. And my God, what a shipwreck.
1: You know what's cool about that that sequence? What? uh, Which I didn't know. Uh, Orlando Bloom says in the commentary, the sequence of the shipwreck, like the actual shipwreck in the sea and stuff. He was like, yeah, when I watched this movie, um, I didn't realize this was in the film. I was like, what? That's weird. And he's like, yeah. So I think Ridley took these scenes from the siege later, changed the color and stuff, and then took scenes from his film White Squall and created this CGI shipwreck what? sequence that I didn't realize I was in. <laughs> and I was like, that's so cool. Because And then Ridley says, he's like, he's like yeah, you could have cut from Messina straight to the beach with all the wrecked ships. But he was like, but I thought I could do this for like very cheaply. I could make this short sequence. Very and I was cool. Like, We're blessed, man. Good, the guy is talented. Good direction, yeah. Mr. Guy. Yeah. Yeah. And, and then, of
0: course, the ship crashes, but... Bloom is the lone survivor because God has purpose for God's him. God's will. God's will. And, and then Bloom then ends up on a desert where he meets Jafar from Aladdin. And he fight. Hold he on.
1: We have to <laughs> shout out Alexander Siddig is the actor's name. Right. He is fucking great in this film. Excellent. He's so good.
0: Is it the guy who he fights in the desert?
1: Well, the guy who's faking being... The guy who said, I'm that guy's servant, but he's not. Got
0: it. So he fights a guy, he kills the guy, and then there's another guy with him.
1: He fights the guy over his own horse. Yeah. You idiot. (laughs) The the guy's like, that's my horse now.
0: Yeah. It was very...
1: (laughs) (laughs) There is... Okay. Sorry. There is one little thing here in Orlando Bloom's performance that I really love when he the guy's like he says that's his horse it's on his land and then he says how can it be his horse and then the guy's like he said he'll he'll take the horse and then bloom just stands up and he's so tired and he's just like no, no. <laughs> yeah
0: yeah a lot of bloom's dialogues even later on in the film are very monosyllabic yes yes <laughs> yes and no yeah um but yeah then so he obviously it's a showmanship of his skill and the second man on the horse is like, oh, I was just his servant. Don't mind me. Let me take you into Jerusalem. And well, Orlando
1: Bloom tells him to take him to Jerusalem. Right. Yeah.
0: Perfect. And that's where we as an audience, and and I thought this was a really, really clever way to introduce us to Jerusalem because we don't know anything about the Holy Land. Neither does, um, Balian, uh, Orlando Bloom's character. And so we enter with him as an outsider and, this guy, Orlando Bloom, becomes my window into Jerusalem, which I thought yeah. was a really cool introduction yeah. to this brand new world outside of where he's come from.
1: Completely different.
0: Fantastically done. Uh, that that scene is now suddenly we have background music, which is a little bit Lawrence of the Arabia. Beautiful. Beautiful. I <laughs> love this this sequence. Yeah. Ugh, just chef kiss yeah. and, and all of that is just so there, well
1: done. There's this interesting thing they were talking about in the commentary about how... So, Bloom takes Siddig's character and then says, like, dude, take the horse and fuck off. Like, don't worry about it. Yeah. And Siddig says to him, your quality will be known by your enemies before you meet them, mm-hmm. which is important. Balian ends up wandering about Jerusalem, and then he's encountered by Elmar, who is one of Ibelin's servants, essentially. Right. And they recognize him from his sword, which is Liam Neeson's previous old sword. Mm-hmm. And then they take him to, like, his house, and there's this whole sequence of him being like bathed and washed and served upon by these, these hotties. Uh, these hotties yeah. yeah. <laughs> but I found this really interesting. They talked about how it was like, well, if you're from France yeah, and it's shitty and cold and miserable mm-hmm. and you go to the Middle East where it's hot and people cl- are clean and yeah. there's lots of hygiene and it's different is like there's, it's no wonder why people went there you know it was a bit like the wild wild west where you could not the film not the great will smith film um but like it's a little bit like the wild west where you can make your way and fortune in a place that's comfortable comfortable warm yeah and people practice hygiene there's fruit there you know when when you'd be like scrabbling in the dirt in yeah. france yeah and the scene where he gets washed and then he's like he's like god these ladies are touching me it's weird like ridley <laughs> says he's like He's like, well, he wouldn't have had as much experience with hygiene as yeah. they do there. Yeah. Because he's like, in Northern Europe, it's so fucking cold all the time and no way to heat yourself that you might only wash like once a week because it's such a miserable experience to soak yourself in uh, cold water. I didn't water. think of that. And That's I never thought cool. of that. Out. I thought it was a really interesting idea. Nice. Whereas like in the desert, it's like nice and oh, yeah. Yeah, it's you got to clean up. Probably smells good too. Yeah.
0: Oh, and
1: then um, he meets Sibylla.
0: Mm. hottie number one
1: number the number Jerusalem's one hottie. hottest yeah and yeah
0: <laughs> eva green baby
1: and gotta say about eva green is really good in this movie the costuming her for her character mm. is unbelievable Excellent. it's some of the best like single character shit in for any sure. movie ever it's so amazing
0: sick it, really underrated situation yeah. very nice
1: um He gives her some water. Mm -hmm. That's very sexy. They make eye contact. Mm -hmm. They're definitely going to get at it. They're (laughs) definitely going to get to it. She's, yeah. So
0: this character, have they already introduced who she is?
1: No, he doesn't know who she is. Okay. She comes to the house and wants to talk to the Baron of Ibeline. Mm -hmm. And he doesn't know, she doesn't know who he is. And she says, tell the Baron that Sibylla calls and he doesn't know who Sibilla is basically right. but she doesn't realize she's talking to the Baron that's right, right. and then Thewlis arrives he talks to oh we forgot one thing sorry Orlando Bloom goes to Golgotha to beg forgiveness from God and he buries his wife's necklace there
0: oh yeah because he's obviously forgotten about all his sweet dead lady wife now that he's yeah but that's that's
1: a really that that was a scene that like struck me about yeah you know this scene where because he sits on this on Golgotha like all night kind of Mm -hmm. and it's just like he literally has nothing like he doesn't know what he really has you know and this is him restarting his life like Mm -hmm. pressing the reset button on his life Mm -hmm. he's said goodbye to his wife he's begged forgiveness from god God hasn't spoken to him. So he has nothing. Mm
2: -hmm.
1: Then it turns out he has a sick house in the middle of Jerusalem. Yeah. And another sick house in the outskirts. What's up? Anyway. And then Phyllis arrives. He says the thing, serve the people, right action thing we've been over before. And then, so while he's in Jerusalem, this is when we, he finds out that Sibylla is married to Guy, the total cunt of a husband. He was just a to- still just a total dick. It's a marriage of convenience. Yeah. Sybilla is not mm-hmm. so happy with him mm-hmm. and can you blame her? <laughs> like, Jesus this fucking guy. <laughs> he's such a whiny little crap face. She's got a little He like kid sits with down him. at the table and sees Orlando Bloom and he's like, I cannot eat here. <laughs> Get this man
2: away. And then he just
0: gets up to leave and Sybilla doesn't have any reaction on her face. So he makes a jab at her and be like, Oh, my wife never complains when I leave. That is either the best of wives or the worst of wives.
1: Oh God. Yeah. yeah it's
0: great. It's such a great line. And such of course, a, as soon as he leaves
1: Sibylla's like, Oh, some weight <laughs> off my chest. <laughs> Jesus.
0: But Jeremy Irons, the sweet old grandpa he is, turns to her and says, To the best of wives, and they toast, and it's great.
1: You know why? Mm. Jeremy Irons fucks in this movie. He's so good. Yeah. He is Oh man, he's great. He's such like a he is so kind of like just tired ass Jeremy Irons doing mm-hmm. his best. Mm-hmm. Yeah, plays a character named Tiberius who is actually based on a real character but they d- his his real name was too complicated so they made it something very sim- You know, his name was the same as some other character and they so they had to change his name. Yeah, but he's a real character from history. And then Orlando Bloom meets the king Baldwin. King of Jerusalem. Yeah, Baldwin the
0: The leper king of Jerusalem. His face is always covered in a mask. And till the end of the film, we never get to see who it is. And John and I were guess well, I was trying to guess back and forth, who the hell is this guy? Because they never reveal the face. And it, there's this like somewhat mysterious mixed accent. And you can't tell, you can't make out immediately who it is. But once you realize that it's Edward Norton, it is hard to unhear it. And it is fantastic i think it's one of the best things he's done never shows his face in the entire film obviously because he has leprosy and king of jerusalem what a pimp
1: i believe he was super enthusiastic about doing it too for that reason nice and so i, I was thinking about this movie so one of the reasons i think that ridley did a director's cut not to mention the fact that he's like well fuck i like doing director's cuts and i want to do a better movie i i do think he did it to And he, the thing is, this the Roadshow edition, he screened at the theater, like he did screen it, and I think part of it was to possibly get nominated for an Academy Award. Oh. This movie was never nominated. <laughs> I think it could have been nominated in many categories. Yeah, has had costuming, score, yeah. mm-hmm. uh, lots of technical stuff. Um, I also think maybe the only major nomination it could have garnered was Norton for Best Supporting Actor. Mm-hmm. Could have really been that it would have been a really brave kind of nomination cuz it's really it would be really rare to have a character whose face is basically hidden the entire time but he's really good in this movie and it's a really effective role mm. yeah mm-hmm. um i honestly too i like I'm so partial to this film, but I really think William Monaghan should have been nominated for best original screenplay. Oh yeah. come and on! Once you see the director's cut, you're just like, this is such an incredible piece. It's of a robbery. I, I feel it. Yeah. Some of the, some of the scenes are so beautifully written mm-hmm. and just so like, just you can watch it as a single scene and just be like, this is so interesting. Not the one with Thulis where he says like Jerusalem's in your head and in your heart. And then the one when he, bloom meets baldwin and they play chess yeah it's just such a lovely just beautiful little dialogue bits i I don't know something about her so lovely yeah
0: and i'm glad they take their time to set that scene and it's not like typical dialogue scene where there's an exchange of back and forth and then it just cut to 30 seconds later they move on this movie takes its time and there is not a moment lost where you're like maybe that should have been cut out no everything feels relevant and important to the following scene
1: the the chess scene was cut down in the theatrical version i believe yeah yeah yeah. and that's one of the issues and and i think the thing that was cut is the scene where baldwin asks bloom Mm -hmm. he's like what do you think of this wall and bloom is like well you could fix these things about it again showing that this guy is very smart
0: strategic he's an engineer yeah yeah, oh. and
1: so and so later when you find out when he's defending Jerusalem, you're like, he has a lot of familiarity with what's happening here because he's That's been working right. on it. This has been his fucking side hustle has been defending <laughs> Jerusalem.
0: The architect, blacksmith. Yeah. Sweet and, boy.
1: Yeah, and it was another thing. So moving on from there, he inherits Ibeline on the outskirts of Jerusalem Yeah, where he watches over this road, of this pilgrim road, basically. Mm-hmm. And he kicks that fucking shit into shape. He digs a well. Gets water another, in there. Another criticism of the of the film was like, oh, so people in the Middle East never thought that they needed water, but it was like, no, actually he's making, he's not digging just a well. He's making a whole irrigation system, which is really complex. Yeah. And that's kind of what you see in this very extended sequence where he, he whips this place into shape and the little cherry on top is he gets to fuck Eva Green. (laughs) 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 They like immediately start a torrid affair. She just like shows up and she's like, well, I'm staying here this weekend. Like, what's up? Excellent. And, she's uh, this whole sequence of her she's so great yeah. the scene where she has the the candle and the, they're talking in the hall mm-hmm. and she says something about like there is a light between them and then she blows it out and that's when they start hooking up yeah that's a really cool scene yeah cool is the word for cool it, is the word for it. <laughs> <laughs> i think it no i thought it was like really in inventive and and it was interesting and she's so
0: and it's such a breath of fresh air because of all the the you know chaos and movement and all that you're seeing and now it's like this quiet moment yeah and it's done so beautifully she's really good in this movie
2: yeah
1: it's unfortunate she's the only woman character in this film yes that's the that's another criticism who shows her face could be leveled yeah she's the only one who has like a line of dialogue yeah i swear to god Mm -hmm. yeah Mm -hmm. um it definitely doesn't pass the bechdel test (laughs) no even
0: every scene she's in she's either talking about her brother the king of jerusalem or her husband Guy, the the guy of Jerusalem, what is he? He's like a knight. <laughs> Jerusalem's <laughs> he's the, biggest. He's the mayor dick. <laughs> of Jerusalem, and then, or, uh, which is later revealed, her son.
1: Her son, from another, not Guy's son, from another marriage. Mm-hmm. Um, I will say that despite all of that, I do think she's a well-written character, and yeah. she goes <laughs> through, as I said, a major arc. She is the she is like the secondary protagonist of this film, essentially.
0: If Orlando Bloom was entirely removed from this movie and was just some guy who did his part and ended up coming to Jerusalem, that is where the movie starts for me, is once I meet Sibylla, I'm like, tell me more about this lady. Yeah. And she could easily have been the protagonist, like you said. She could have led the film to the end of it.
1: I think I think that's one of the reasons though, is that she takes the reins of the film in, in lots of ways yeah. and, and she shares it with Orlando Bloom. Mm-hmm. It starts the first third of the film is very much like this is Orlando Bloom's story. And then all of a sudden it's like you have protagonist 1A and 1B. Mm-hmm. And, and and a lot of that is not in the theatrical cut. A lot of that is because of the director's cut. It adds about a, a lot of her story back in. Yeah. Um, yeah. So they start a, a torrid affair essentially. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, this, you're right. This is where the movie like, this is kind of like where the movie's second act starts Picks in a weird up. way. Even yeah. though it, you could argue it's much like... I don't know, but it starts to pick up because that's when...
0: It lays the seeds of yeah,
1: conflict. of everything, everything. Everything. The Templars kill a bunch of Muslims, mm-hmm. and um, that's not cool because they're not supposed to do that. I mean, there's peace between Christians and Muslims at this point. Yeah. And the Templars are like, no, we like war. It's not God's our... will. Yeah. And Brendan Gleeson is just mental. <laughs>
0: <laughs> and I, you know what? The, this question about like the Templars versus the Muslims... And then the Crusaders and Christianity and and Islam. All of this, and I know we're saying all of these very heavy religious words, but throughout it, the theme of the film, which we talked about early on, is what does it mean to be moral? What does it mean to do the right thing? Um, Ridley Scott does such a fucking great job of differentiating the good guy from the bad guy in a restrained way. So when he talks about templars versus crusaders templars are obviously like the warriors right they are financially motivated they want to do what they do to protect the city first of all crusaders are like the pilgrims who are religiously motivated and want to protect the people both are christians and then muslims are shown as people who want to come in and take over jerusalem because they claim the right over that place
1: the holy land the holy land
0: yeah so but i d- and some of the criticism i read online was like oh i don't know if are we glorifying the act of christianity but no we're not i 100% don't agree with that at all i don't think there's any gl- glorifying of crusaders at all if anything templars are the bad guys very clearly
1: if anything, the Muslims are the the, the most, most reasonable positive light, hundred
0: yeah. percent. And I want to but, talk about it more when we get into well, Sal- Saladin. But so I'm sorry. No, no, no. I just want to say that he gets such a clear picture, such a non Hollywood take on Islam for once that it's so fucking refreshing. And it is so hard to do post nine eleven.
1: Well, I think that one of the things is that if you painted the. Um, muslims in a bad light it would be there would be like big accusations of anti-islamic islamic islamophobia uh, totally. islamophobia not anti-islamophobia yeah islamophobia which was like we talked about this in Jared not we didn't talk about islamophobia but we talked about the climate at the time yeah fucking rampant yeah it was fucking rampant at the time and i i i want to i want to talk about it a little bit later too but the thing i love about this movie as a a non-religious person, is it does not pull its punches about Christianity. And it doesn't pull its punches necessarily. Christianity just happens to be the religion. But Bloom's character is constantly pulled into things being like... Well, you know, God wills it. So why don't you do this totally politically motivated thing? And, <laughs> yeah. he's like, and he says no all the time, yes. even if when it would benefit him greatly. Yes. There's a point it's and it's fucking like this is like the nail in that coffin mm-hmm. when they're about to defend Jerusalem. When Saladin is about to march on Jerusalem. Yes. The fucking bishop guy is like, well, why don't we just leave? And, and Orlando Bloom's like, no, we have to defend Jerusalem. And he's yeah. like, and he's like, what about the people? And the the pope guy is like, I don't know. Well, if God wants something from him, he won't let them die. It's like, what do you mean? <laughs> he's and like Bloom is so just like, oh, you fuck this fucking guy, and <laughs>
0: he's the asshole victim.
1: They're serious assholes in yeah. this fucking movie, and and they always couch it in God's will. Yeah, when um before Baldwin decides to march on Carrick, mm-hmm. the Templars are fighting with Tiberius's blue blue robed gang, yes. right, and. The guy, that one guy, says he's like, if war is is necessary, it's the will of God. Yeah, and it's like, no, you guys just murdered a bunch of fucking Muslims, mm-hmm. and and they're just like, well, if if God wants war, is war is necessary? And it's like, no, you did this. <laughs> and they, of course, it's always just like it's so annoying. And it's it's always man's just like, will. And yeah. the thing that the reason I'm so in- impassioned about this right now is it's it's not unlike real life right <laughs> now. <laughs> It's yeah. not unlike what we see in lots of places at the moment right now. Of course. I won't mention them, but big countries to the south of the country I live in are a lot like this. <laughs> and it's ridiculous. Yes.
0: Yep. Yeah. Yep. Well, there's a reason. And they've why. moved on
1: from fucking Muslims to trans people, LGBTQ plus people and women. And it's ridiculous. Yeah. Anyway.
0: Oh, oh my God. I love this movie. I know we got to get this plot going along because I got to get into some
1: big, big themes. Okay. So. So they they murder the Muslims. Basically, mm-hmm. Saladin is like, I'm going to go fucking take Brendan Gleeson's head off and I'm going to go march on Carrick. Carrick is outside of Jerusalem. It's a ma- massive fortress. It's still alive today. Sick. And it's a really hard place to take mm-hmm. for a siege army. Mm-hmm. But Saladin mm-hmm. is one of the most, you know... Uh,
2: Powerful. He's one of the most
1: critically acclaimed warlords at the time. So
2: he, <laughs> critically acclaimed. He, he was
1: the Ridley Scott of Islamist war, <laughs> warlords at the time. There you go. And basically... The cavalry marches on Carrick. Orlando Bloom defends with a... He was very outnumbered. Mm -hmm. He gets... They get trounced, essentially. Mm -hmm. And then Alexander Siddig reveals himself to have been in the cavalry and is Saladin's right-hand man, basically. And he tells Orlando Bloom, he's like, you can go to Carrick, but you'll die there. Yeah. And then the cross appears on the horizon.
0: Mm. Fantastic, just from... Thousands of meters away you the, see a glistening cross
1: this sequence from the scene in the in the uh like throne room where Baldwin decides to march on Jerusalem yeah through to Raymond Brandon Gleason's like arrest mm-hmm. is sublime. It's perfect filmmaking yeah
0: there's like these excellent pauses where you're waiting for something good to happen, and it never does yeah. And that tension goes on until the very end of the movie. And that's what makes it a fucking banger. Yeah.
1: Just like the the silence as the cross appears over Orlando Bloom's shoulder. Ugh. And then like the look on Alexander Siddig's face. And yeah. he says like, tell my master Jerusalem has come. And just like this huge march of mm. like hundreds of thousands of men. It's so fucking cool. Yeah. And with Edward Norton's character like right at the front. But he's like lost among this sea of people of course it's so fucking cool it's one of my favorite like sequences in a long time that I've watched and yeah and then Baldwin very coolly of a king yeah uh, spares Carrick's life essentially Mm -hmm. and there's this other subplot happening which I love between Baldwin and Saladin who respect each other a lot yes and Saladin offers his physicians to help Baldwin even though Baldwin is dying of leprosy. leprosy correct and they they resolve their conflict without bloodshed. Mm-hmm. And then um, they enter the city. And this scene with Edward Norton is so good. Like when he makes Brendan Gleeson kiss his hand. Oh, he oh. takes
0: off his glove. Yeah. And you can see his hand is obviously corroding from leprosy. And Brendan Gleeson very passionately kisses all over it. Yeah. And but it it's is it's also great. like
1: that thing of like beg for forgiveness, not yeah. permission. And it's so disgusting in yeah. this thing because yeah. Brendan Gleeson, you're like, you know, even though he like kisses it, he's just sucking up. He doesn't mean it. And just like, but like the way Norton says, I am Jerusalem mm-hmm. is, just, yeah,
2: Ugh. pretty amazing. Ugh.
1: And then Orlando Bloom beats him with a riding crop mm-hmm. and then collapses and it's not good news for him. Mm-hmm. Not Orlando Bloom, excuse me, Edward oh, Norton. Edward, Edward
0: Norton, Norton yeah. beats the shit out of Brendan Gleeson. And then falls because it was too much action for him.
1: Yeah. The So between the thing I find interesting too is like Saladin appears not a ton in this movie. He's really good though, the guy who plays him. He also has his own little subplot of warmongers in his cabinet. Yeah. The one character, not Alexander Siddig, but another actor who's he doesn't have a name. He's an angry general. But he is basically he is the he is the Guy de Lucien to Saladin. to Saladin. Right. And they mirror each other in such an interesting way. And yeah.
0: I, I want to talk about Saladin because he's Tell so, me. he's my absolute favorite character. Like a, I guess he's an antagonist. Would he qualify as an antagonist? Because he's not really a villain. I don't think so. Because he changes, or what was that you said about when an antagonist changes the motivations for the protagonist
1: the antagonist is the one who makes the character change
0: oh the I protagonist. See. okay 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 well either way he's not playing a hero saladin is clearly the enemy for jerusalem not a bad guy though not a bad guy <laughs> so in kingdom of heaven he is your non-stereotypical good guy olive branch extending muslim character he's not what Hollywood has ever shown go on. you have raised hand. <laughs> I mean,
1: Saladin is chivalrous like yes. a knight
0: of course, and he's a he's like he's a moderate Muslim, okay. For the movie, he's shown as a reasonable guy who claims that he has a right over a piece of land and he's gonna fight for it. he's going to want it, but he's not going to do it in like a snaky way that some Templars would.
1: He also, I, I will say, just to point out, he he has this way of embodying holiness mm. in this film. In that, mm-hmm. at the end, when Orlando Bloom surrenders Jerusalem, he says that 100 years ago, the Christians massacred every Muslim in Jerusalem. And he says, I'm not those men.
0: That's right. Yeah. So there is... Th- and but, like even before he gets to the end of where you find out, oh, this is Saladin's character, it's shown every single step of the way that he is a religious guy, but he's not a fanatic, right? He's not radicalized in a way that every fucking it, just dumb movie shows Muslim people to be. So there is this like humbling moment where um there's one scene where he's talking to the villain in his army, the the angry general,
1: he's called the mullah in the movie.
0: Right. And he, yeah. and he and he says, how many battles did God win for Muslims before I came? Right. Which is such a cool scene.
1: Such a dunk,
0: too.
2: And he's yeah, yeah
0: exactly. Because he's like, oh, you guys go on about your gods. But then really, it's men out here getting shit done. And so Ridley Scott is trying to show good guys on both Christian side and Muslim sides. And I feel like he, uh, Ridley Scott, downplayed the religiosity of Saladin. A little bit Do definitely
2: you know what I mean? yeah
0: he and it is refreshing to see that right he's he is a king Saladin is a king he is wise he's practical he's moderate he's virtuous like he said he's honorable man and something that I missed earlier which you pointed out in the film was that when Saladin makes sure not to disrespect the cross when he's walking on the floor and if the tiles have like the cross on it he walks around it he doesn't want to step on it with his feet yeah and i thought it was fantastic little yeah. like a tiny little scene there um
1: it's not in the movie but something i read on like the wikipedia page of saladin mm. was that um there was like a quote associated with him where he said uh a ruler's hands should be like um something or rather should have holes in them so that the wealth falls through ah <sighs> to the nice. people he rules essentially really Beautiful. interesting he he died like poor it, the the dynasty that saladin the abiyad dynasty like lasted only like 50 years the quote-unquote really? dynasty yes very short-lived but he is considered like an islamist hero essentially well yeah. yeah. There is
0: there are there are accounts of him being ruthless in real life, right? Of course, like oh, you've yeah. had to do
1: I mean, look at the battle later. Exactly. He fucking wrecks them. He yeah. he
0: beheads some of the enemies. Yeah. He puts their heads on pikes. There there is a depiction of all of that in the film as well, but in dialogue, in movement, he's shown as this romanticized philosopher king yeah. who's just coming to get what he's owed.
1: His I think his image has been um revitalized in history even in the west too yeah and i don't know how much of that is true i'm not a historian right but it has been like respected respectfully revitalized
0: oh yeah there's like takes of him um having united these muslim kingdoms against the crusaders to get control of the holy land and before all of this even happens before we see all all of the 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 take of saladin's army and what their perspective is in the kingdom of heaven leading up to it to the battle there's a rousing speech by orlando bloom should we get into it
1: no we're not even we got lots of left are we the... not there yet okay oh god no oh right. so we can we can move through this bit of the plot a little more because this okay so after the battle of carrick basically mm-hmm. well there's an intermission first of all <laughs>
2: there's a- <laughs> The screen um, goes black. but but also
1: it, this there's like a lot of setup for the end of the film for like yeah. the next 45 minutes yeah and basically like what happens here is baldwin is dying Brandon gleason's arrested
2: mm-hmm.
1: sybilla is readying her son to take over the throne baldwin dies before and before he does that he asks he says orlando bloom mm-hmm if you could marry my sister, Sibylla, mm-hmm. and I could kill Guy, would you do it and command the armies of Jerusalem to keep the peace? And Orlando Bloom says no because he's a nice, too Classic nice of a guy. Classic dude. Yeah. And Jeremy Irons as really, really—that's another beautifully written scene when he says, "You once said that a king can move a man." Basically, it's mm-hmm. really, really good. Mm-hmm. And there, and Baldwin is like, "I knew you'd say that." <laughs> 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 Fuck. <laughs> Balgun dies and Sibylla her son becomes king and then they find out that her son has leprosy. Ah heartbreaking Leprosy in this movie is yet another example of the will of God because they nobody understood it at the time really. And it seems it it seemed to have struck them as the will of God, basically. Yeah. Sibylla murders her own son. Mm-hmm. basically and that really messes her up and she allows Guy to take control of the armies of jerusalem as yep. she she rules with him you know uh guy tries to have orlando bloom's character killed orlando mm-hmm. bloom obviously beats a man to death with a rock and kills another guy it's a pretty pretty sick scene. sick yeah and When he surprises Guy, Guy's like, all right, rah, rah, war is good. (laughs) He goes, he's like, I want to go fight Saladin because I'm an idiot. And Orlando Bloom shows up and Orlando Bloom, the king of all engineering, says like, maybe don't go far away from water, dipshit. And (laughs) Guy is like, no, I want to. We're Jerusalem. God wills it. Blah, blah, blah. Ghee heads out into the desert to fight saladin saladin's like saladin dunks on them (laughs) so (laughs) hard like fucking yeah fucking this is india pakistan 1971
0: style (laughs) just oh india pakistan friggin' 2019 styles who knows (laughs) no just india india 2019 because we already got internal conflict (laughs) but yeah
1: but it is like it's a total massacre and then Sal- Saladin kills a bunch of people and then basically is going to march on Jerusalem.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Now, there is a great scene as Balian and Tiberius ride out to be like, wow, how many people died out here? Yeah. <laughs> they they go and they see the aftermath. And Iron <sighs> um, says, yeah, as they look upon all of these dead bodies, including David Thewlis mm-hmm. is dead. Mm -hmm. they he says that he's i've seen religion be used as a crutch to do all of these political actions and things like that he's very upset yeah and then he basically says like i'm getting out of here i'm gonna go to cyprus Mm -hmm. um you can come with me if you want and balian says no so balian's essentially abandoned by everyone
2: yeah (laughs) yeah
1: and then he heads back to jerusalem he's like i gotta defend this place yeah he's a good fucking guy there's a
0: lot of civilians here i gotta rally someone somehow
1: so balian in this siege essentially survives through the power of engineering yep which is why all your kids should be in stem education at this point because you can survive a siege like nothing
0: highly encourage it
1: Yep, this is this is when bloom starts to take off for me as a character Exactly. Which is way too late in the movie. Which is
0: now, yeah. when only 20 minutes of the film is left. This is when he becomes the knight that he is always wanting to be or is shown to have the potential to be. Is this when he makes the speech? Because I. Yeah, go on. I, I so, literally wrote it down. So, it, so happy there's, with it.
1: there's a long, intense siege depiction. Yes. It goes on for many days. Mm-hmm. It's really great filmmaking. Excellent. And. um. Orlando Bloom Knights every remaining fighter in the walls yeah and gets prepped for getting fucked up <laughs>
0: <Yeah>. <laughs> and and in that speech of course there's he's surrounded by all these people even the men the gravediggers who buried his wife some of the men who would have the beheaded grave, the Orlando gravedigger Bloom. from the first scene arrives
1: right. in Jerusalem to seek his own holiness what a nice touch. really cool
0: very cool So then in the middle of this rubble, Orlando Bloom is standing. And he's surrounded by these civilians and he just, just, yes, he says, what is Jerusalem? And it is such a tight sentence in itself. That's it. Like, if he just left that moment to stay, it would have been so fucking great. But even the speech that followed it was fantastic. So he says, what is Jerusalem? Your holy places lie over Jewish temples that the Romans pulled down. That the Muslim places of worship lie over yours. Which is more holy? Is it the wall? Is it the mosque? Is it the sepulchre? Who has claim? No one has claim. All have claim. Oh, chills. Yeah. Fantastic. And then some guy goes, that's blasphemy. (laughs) Orlando Bloom says, be quiet. Yeah. And that's it. That's the, the 10, 15, 30 seconds where actual chills, because this is... Word for word, something you could say for like the, 2019 New Delhi riots. This,
1: this is, um, I, I know how you feel about Orlando Bloom, as we talked about, but this is kind of like you're an advocate, as I said, for how beautifully written this script
0: is. Absolutely. My God.
1: And I never thought of it until like this week when I was rewatching the movie. I was like, there's some scenes, some of this shit, and this is so beautifully written. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. And, and <sighs> that's, yeah, that's almost capped by when. When Bloom surrenders Jerusalem and he says, "What's Jerusalem to you?" and Saladin says, "Nothing, everything."
2: Ugh. Ugh.
0: and and you know, and it is like a obviously it's a story of the 12th century Crusades. Da, da, da. How can it be relevant now in 2005? But and Ridley Scott does it's such kinda... a great way of like not having Eurocentric bias fall into it. It's so hard to have this narrative after 9/11. And I, it has done so fucking well.
1: I wanna, I, I wanna talk about that, mm. about about what you just said about Eurocentrism. After, mm-hmm. after we get through this plot, because I have something kind of on that. Yeah. Okay. So, basically, a big long siege, really great. Mm-hmm. Bloom ends up sur- surrendering Jerusalem for safe passage of all people to Christian lands. Yeah. And Saladin takes it over, and there's this scene where he doesn't walk on the cross. And, mm-hmm. you know, what's, you know, what's interesting about that scene, which I learned again from the commentary and you just said, which I, I pointed out, I was like, it's interesting how he walks around the cross. on yeah, the Yeah, yeah. The whole time he's surrounded by, which I didn't know, which is a historical thing, which is really, really interesting. As he does that, mm-hmm. everyone around him are Muslim clerics. Yeah. And they're cleansing, quote unquote, the temple with yeah. rose water and rose petals. Mm-hmm. And I found that really fascinating because there's this man in the middle of all of these. These very religious men, who are cleansing a temple, while he still shows this modicum of respect for the cross, I found yeah. that really fascinating.
0: It's so good, because yeah. he's a he's a chill guy.
1: And so during this time too, and Monaghan admits this is an issue in the script, we kind of lose Eva Green. So what she is, what she's done is basically denounced queenhood. She's cut off all her hair, mm-hmm. and she leaves the city as a regular woman.
0: And I want to say. That is one of the biggest differences for the th- from the theatrical cut. Did we mention
1: cut. she murders her
0: child? Yes, you did, yeah. Okay, yeah. So, in the theatrical take, all of that is gone. Her son doesn't even exist. And what a loss that is. Can you believe it? Oh my God. So, the whole part about her son having leprosy, her having a son at all, her son having leprosy, her son being now the king of Jerusalem, her having to murder her son, all of that makes her seem like oh, oh it's not coming from a place of grief or loss it's coming from a place of ambition and greed
1: it just it makes her seem like she's just upset to be married to a fucking that's bomb. Ex-
0: and she's reduced yeah. to this fucking her just a her girl. character
1: is reduced to her character is only how it relates to the man she's involved with
0: and i cannot and that believe that is kind of problematic up. yeah <laughs> yeah and yeah. so at least at least in the director's cut they kept this kid and they showed the side of her as a mother the doing what's best for the child foregoing her own want to be the queen of beirut or whatever she says
1: The scene the scene where they see him the hot wax fall on his hand mm. she's so good in that sequence of scenes and it's such you can tell it's like she's been punched in the fucking stomach yeah when she sees that he doesn't feel pain yeah and there's like a really beautiful scene between her and jeremy irons too which mm-hmm. yeah Anyway, um, oh. yeah, but so she leaves the city on foot and Orlando Bloom finds her and uh, walks with her. And they return. The ending is so good. Mm-hmm. Like, so they return to France. They return literally to this village that uh, Bloom is from. And he walks out of this house and it mimics exactly the scene where he walks out with his baby yeah. Um, crib, yeah, which he burns in the fire. And he goes down to where he used to live and he sees that uh, buds have grown on the tree that he planted for his wife.
0: Yeah, and or then, that she was planting in the first scene, I think. Yeah, yeah, something yeah. like that. Nice. And then
1: you reveal that Eva Green has come with him, basically. Mm-hmm. And then he encounters crusaders on their way to Jerusalem looking for the defender of Jerusalem. <laughs> and the crusaders are Richard the I, Richard Ooh. the Lionheart.
0: Boom boom boom. Yeah.
1: Who would go on to do the third crusade. That's right. And then the final shot is them riding past his wife's grave. And he knows that it's there, obviously. Mm-hmm. Eva Green doesn't. But there's a beautiful look he gives. Like speaking of Orlando Bloom and his acting, there's this beautiful look where he's not like he's conflicted a little bit. It seems he he looks at it and he it's like He like looks over it and he feels that sadness, even though he started a completely new life with a new woman. Yeah. And quote unquote has like moved on and let go. Yeah. But there's this small moment where it's this kind of like you still feel the sadness for that past life, you know.
0: When he's riding past her grave, uh, Sibylla keeps going on her horse, but Orlando Bloom stops for a second, turns around, looks at his wife's grave and then joins her as he rides past. So that was like the conclusion to.
2: Yeah.
1: It comes His full time. circle. Yeah. I love a movie that comes full circle, especially yeah. after a very, very long time.
0: Me too. Yeah, fucking very hell. Very wholesome. Dude.
1: And yeah, like I said, like I love I love the idea of Sibylla having switched places with Bloom in a way. Yes. I really think that's Really an interesting, good point. Yeah. I
0: yeah, I didn't even clock that. That was like v- a
1: That is what made me kind of be like this is why she is protagonist one B in a way. Mm-hmm is mm-hmm. She goes through and begins a new journey as well. Yeah, it's just different from Bloom's, and that's what makes her character very whole mm-hmm. in this film, and not, unlike the theatrical cut, which she's not just, a um
0: yeah a Dash. cipher,
1: a bit of a cipher. Right, yeah. Yeah. that's yeah. a better word. Who man,
0: I pl- I am so glad this movie just foregoes all that. Oh, need to be like have exact historical fidelity with everything that happened in the Crusades or the Templars, and blah blah blah. Who cares? Focus on the morality aspect, like you did. Build double down on giving your characters, like I don't more mass. Like well,
1: so Monaghan and, and Scott are pretty are pretty confident in their their um historical accuracy. Although mm-hmm. Monaghan says he said in the thing he was like. He was like, he's a huge Crusades head. Like, nice. he knows a lot about it. He did a lot of research, but he was like, <laughs> I mean, he's got a wonderful voice, too. I could, he should uh, he should host this podcast with us. Um, we just talk about The Departed every week. Um, but he has a wonderful voice, and he calls, what does he call it? He says, like, as a dramatist, um, you have to sometimes forego accuracy for... Dramatic reasoning or something like that like something Sick. but he says like something really smart where he was like he's like i he's like i know all about this stuff but you sometimes have to make different choices to you know hold the drama of the fucking totally. thing you know? and totally. i totally agree yeah you don't have anything to say
0: i'm just basking in the just the thought of having seen this movie twice it's in the span of a week. I'm just, I'm, and I still want to see it. I still, and I know it's not one of Ridley Scott's most acclaimed movies. It is so fucking good. It is so good. I wish, I wish it got more than whatever, 39% Rotten Tomatoes or whatever it had right now.
1: It's a movie that like, it just grew in my esteem. The Mm -hmm. more, the more I kind of looked into it and watched it, I was like, just so, I'm so impressed by it, you know? Yeah. And, I think that it it handles, like I said, really simple themes in a really beautiful way. The ideas of like forgiveness and redemption. Yeah. Starting over your life. Things like that. Like, I, I don't know. I, I I think it does it really delicately. And a lot of the criticism comes through from like misunderstanding of the film, I think. And mischaracterizing, you know, some of the like I saw one re- what quotes from one review where it was like someone called it like Osama bin Laden's version of the Crusades, as if it would inflame, you know, like um, what are they like called? radicals? Radicals, radicalized mm-hmm. Islamist, Islamic folks mm-hmm. into like all of the the stuff that was happening then when everyone was like all Muslims are terrorists and and they just dismiss it like. That time was so crazy for that. And like I said earlier, like we've moved on to worse. Than yeah. You know, like we moved on to other horrible things.
0: But this movie is able to hit all those points without that weird Western bias.
1: I So, yeah. And, and I, I think there's definitely points, I think, as as a Westerner myself, where maybe I'm not seeing the bias. But something I thought a lot about was like this movie... Has a lot of themes of you could argue, and I don't agree with this, but you could argue there's themes of white saviorism, there's themes of orientalism, there's themes of like othering. But this movie is, first off, it's historically accurate that Balian did mm-hmm. save Jerusalem in this yeah. thing. However, you there's around this time, 2005, for yeah. one, just, just let's talk about 2005. Yeah. There were many movies that were about the West yep. infringing upon the other in some way. Quote: I say that in quotes and being completely thwarted by <laughs> the complexities of that that action. Mm-hmm. So let's talk about a couple of those movies. Jarhead. Yeah. We talked extensively about Jarhead. Right. Syriana.
0: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Munich. Oh my God. Was that all... Pre two thousand five,
1: it is two thousand This is two thousand five. Jeez, okay. the Constant Gardener. Oh wow, the New World. Mm-hmm. Hustle and flow. <laughs> <laughs>
0: <laughs> you know how they feel about Eurocentric bias. Sorry, I had to throw a
1: little something in there because uh, we've been rascal. so serious this episode. Yeah. But all a lot of those movies are about the complexities mm-hmm. of Western motivations on.
0: Everyone else, everywhere else, yeah, yeah,
1: and I find those movies. All of, I like all of those movies, mm-hmm. and I think this, this, like, I don't. Monaghan says that he wasn't totally inspired by things that were happening with the Iraq War. Like mm-hmm. I said, he's a huge fan of the Crusades. Huge <laughs> fan of the Crusades. He like, just, he's like, he's like, loves the Denver the Nuggets sleigh. or <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> But like, he's like a big fan of that period of history and he said it didn't have a lot to do with it, but it's hard to watch this movie and not read that into it. Like even I thought of like the, all of the um, siege engines firing the fireballs and stuff. Mm -hmm. I was like, is that not slightly referencing like shock and awe in Iraq and things like that? And Mm -hmm. it's hard to not see that because so many movies are concerned with a similar theme at that time. Yeah. You know,
0: but siege is siege. How else would they have shown it? They have to show brutality to the extent that they did, which was pretty pared back. For a movie about laying claim to land, this was more uh, mostly about man's struggle, about coming in terms with his morality, what it, it means to be religious. It's,
1: it, it, we've said it before, there are many themes in this film where the simplistic way for people to justify their action is like, it's God's will. Mm -hmm. yeah therefore we deserve jerusalem yeah and therefore taking it will be god's will and therefore it will be easy yeah and it's not because god doesn't exist and it's not that you know like just because you think you deserve it doesn't mean you can have it right and it's and how can you not draw a comparison to unjust wars happening in the earliest early 21st century yeah whereas it's kind of like we deserve to do this we're meant to do this and it is, therefore, it's just. And it's like, well, it's not. And it's a lot more complicated than that, mm-hmm. you know. And I don't know. I, I just found that theme really interesting.
0: But there is a good part where Balian, Orlando Bloom's character, towards the end somewhere, he says, God doesn't speak to me.
1: No, oh, that's at the beginning. Is that at the beginning? Yeah.
0: Uh, or or like just after the first interaction with the army, I guess. And then some, was it David Thules' character or someone who says to him, how can you have done all that you have done so far if God didn't speak to you or believe in you yeah
1: you, you never know what's real yeah you're not supposed to know yeah which is first of all like that's that's part of the mysteriousness around mm-hmm. faith and mm-hmm. God mm-hmm. but it's also kind of like yeah but he did it you know
0: yeah Yeah. Oh, sick movie
1: yeah <laughs> <laughs> holy shit yeah
0: <laughs> I have my top five thoughts.
1: Okay. Hit me with your top five.
0: So, top five facial masks. <laughs> that could replace the Lepre King, Edward Norton's current mask.
1: <laughs> Where are the masks from? Like from other cinema? or From a- other movies.
0: Okay. Okay. Number five. And this is a serious recommendation, and I wish they had the technology to do it then. But do you know from the Watchmen TV show Looking Glass? Oh yeah. Oh, Tim Blake Nelson's sick mirror. It's pretty similar, Reflecty. Though. It is pretty similar. Yeah. But I think but like I think it's Oh, you shush, all right? <laughs> it's daunting and cool, and it made me think of him. So I think that would be that would be one of the options. Number four, and this is like historically accurate and something that would be available with the technology then something that they could make happen is Jim Carrey's the mask (laughs) (laughs) mask what it's
1: wood yeah that was based on a true story wasn't it
0: (laughs) I just, I just mean it, they would have wood in Jerusalem, and they could, you know, just carve it out, and it'd be cool.
1: I wish I could think of a mask quote to use as Edward Norton the leper
0: smoking. <laughs> uh, number three, Saladin marches smoking, <laughs> just all yellow. Oh my God. That was, it was not the cross that you saw from across the battlefield. It was his, it was his <laughs> it costume. It was Jim Carrey. It was Jim Carrey. Crucified as
1: the mask. <laughs> just, yeah.
0: Oh, Jesus. All right. Blasphemy. And uh, number three, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle mask. And I know.
1: who Shredder or the turtles?
0: The turtles. And I know that's their face. It's not a mask, but you know what I mean? Like, it's not just the eye patch. It's the whole turtle head. Basically, Edward Norton's <laughs> Michelangelo.
1: <laughs> okay, it's the orange one, right? I think he would look cute.
0: Yeah, yeah. Slay, um, number two, and this is a serious one, and mostly because towards the end, when Sibylla takes off Ed Norton's mask and reveals his face that's eaten by leprosy, it's mostly the lower half, right? It's the nose He's and the mouth. It's just gone. Yeah. So for that purpose. Because he has beautiful eyes, he could pull off uh, Hannibal Lecter's Silence of the Lambs <laughs> mask. <laughs> Just the mouth covered enough. And then, you know, you could still gaze into the King of Jerusalem's Love eyes. suit. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and finally, the number one mask that could replace Edward Norton's King of Jerusalem mask is Mike Myers' mask. But... Which one? It's not from Halloween. It's the Austin Powers <laughs> one. <laughs> it's just, it's just the face <laughs> of, of Austin Powers. This is a shout out to Baby Driver.
1: That's not a. Oh, oh <laughs> God, yeah. <laughs> that's uh, the only funny part of Baby Driver. Those yeah.
0: are, yeah, those are the only. Yeah. The, the only, only good part of Baby options. Driver. Yeah. I, you know what? I've never seen <laughs> Baby Driver, but I do remember that one. Oh, you've seen it if you,
1: you. That's in the. Uh, isn't that in the, the right trailer? Universe? Isn't that in the trailer? I think
0: so. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Yeah. It's like it's like the one joke in Baby Driver because that movie is like not that funny. Weirdly. Damn. Really? Yeah. Do you think? It, hold on. Do you, so do you think Baldwin would look good in an Ansel Elgort mask?
0: <laughs> <laughs> no. A c- no. Custom. A custom Elgort. <laughs> no, he's not a baby little ch- child baby. No. no, he's
1: a Tokyo Vice reporter now, baby.
0: Still a child baby reporter.
1: No, he's an ad- a full adult. He's a full time adult in that show.
0: He's basically a small Ed Norton in that film me. <laughs> but yeah austin powers number one mask
2: yeah kingdom of dreams <laughs> <laughs>
0: <laughs> that's the dream that's the number one dream sick mask bro thank you for listening <laughs> oh man yes yeah, so, all right i'm just like
1: i want to you're basking in it now i am basking in it. Yeah. this movie is so good hell yeah Go back and appreciate Ridley Scott for how fucking good he is.
0: Please watch the director's cut. Watch never the ro- Watch the roadshow director's never cut. Never watch the theatrical one.
1: No. You'll just be disappointed. Love you all. Scott Fest continues next week. <laughs> Love you.
0: Bye. Bye.